Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Here's a long three. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read our work over at IndyCornrows.com. Uh, we are doing some more draft stuff now. Finally, getting I'm, I'm back home from Alabama, so I'm not moving all over the place. And I have uh, an actual setup that is working a lot better. Uh, the draft is, I think, only three weeks away now. It's on the 28th. So, yeah, it's exactly three weeks from today. Psyched to be joined by a really good friend of mine, awesome scout, uh, who has just great basketball uh, ideas in general. It's Henry Ward from over at Pro Insight. Henry, how are you doing today, man? I'm great. I'm excited to chat. Um, this is kind of the first team-centric pod of the of the year that I've done. I think it's always fun to sort of have a more um, specific viewpoint to look at prospects through in terms of like we have our team context set and have a board to look at and a pick to sort of work around. So I'm excited to chat about some, some Pacers guys for sure. Yeah, me too, man. I, uh, it, it's kind of funny because as much as this has been like uh, looking at wanting to look at stuff strictly for Indiana, um, I've been really hooked on one prospect who I've, I mean, you and I are both extremely high on. Um, and now that I've gotten, like, I feel pretty comfortable with about 50 to 60 guys now and where they're at and just like looping in where I think this guy's at Um Tonight is the night at I think it's 1159 p.m. is the cutoff for any prospect who is going back to school to make their decision. And that's Terrence Shannon Jr. because he could potentially go back to school tonight. I do not think he should. I think you would agree with me. Um, and we're going to talk about that. I, I don't know if uh, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily say that I'd be excited or not that I wouldn't be excited, but like I think there are guys who maybe have a little bit more uh, primary upside that you would look at picking at 13. But overall, like just at looking at prospects in general, I think there are a lot of interesting things you can bring up in terms of uh, both developmental philosophy and where the game is at right now in terms of looking at Terrence Shannon Jr. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think we're both, you and I are the two people I know, maybe PD as well, our friend PD Webb. Um, the people most sweating this this midnight deadline for him yeah. to decide. Um, we were talking about it before we got on, but there's already been a few guys like Okchag Baji and um, a couple others who we've been disappointed to see return, who we kind of thought would be solid sort of fringy first round picks. But TSJ, I mean, I understand that I'm, I have him kind of ranked in the like 13 to 15 range, um, which I think is probably like the highest I've seen anyone rank him. So I get that I'm on sort of the, the end of the spectrum with him, but uh, I just think there's so much to like. And I think what's interesting about TSJ as well, and you kind of touched on it by saying sort of the player development impacts of him, um, which is he kind of has those sort of like latent skills in the sense that when he he's an all right shooter, he had a decent year. Um, I think he shot like 36%, but I'm pretty low volume. Um, but there's indicators there. I've Again, to mention PD, he did a great job kind of breaking down uh, his organization mechanics in one of his uh, – NDSP additions. Um, but point being is, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic on a shot. And once he's commanding closeouts, 
uh, I think the game opens up for him a lot more in a way that was not open for him at Texas Tech. And you see a lot of those sort of passing flashes. And he's an unbelievable athlete for for his size, just incredible burst. And being able to attack closeouts with that um, and punish rotations with passing and finishing is uh, a pretty impressive sort of ancillary offensive piece to have, not to mention that I think he's kind of one of the smarter, more active defenders in the draft um, and a very good point of attack one too, who can probably guard. I mean, this might be generous, but three positions, um, one to three, uh, safely can say he will guard two to three. Uh, but no, I think there's a lot to like with him. Uh, and I don't really know, I guess if you're a team giving him feedback, you'd like to see those sort of latent skills pop in the college game before taking a chance on him. Um, but this kind of goes back to, the idea of, of pre-drafting another PD specialty, um, which is, you know, if you can get your hands on a guy this year at a lower cost, why wouldn't you, why would you tell him to go back to school, right? Like if I'm the Pacers, for example, and I can trade into the back end of the first round. I mean, I don't, you look at Draft Express's board, TSJ is like 60. Like if you can take him with the 50th pick um, and spend one year developing him because you think that he needs to add this, this, and this to his game, why wouldn't you do that as opposed to telling him, hey, like to see you show this one more year um, at Tech. I don't know if you would stay at Tech because obviously Beard left, but one more year in college. Um, and then he does it, and all of a sudden he's a lottery pick. Like, you kind of just screwed yourself there. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to like um, and a lot of reason for him to come out, especially from the team side, honestly. Like, I think the team would be wise to, to tell him to come out now, promise him with whatever pick. I don't know, maybe he's looking for a top 20 promise, and that's unrealistic, but there's just uh, – a lot of things that he'd provide to a team that are especially useful in today's NBA. And if I'm a team, I'm trying to get him as soon as I can. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So I want to talk about that, uh, that macro way of looking at, at drafting him overall, before we talk about some of the things that really stand out with him. Uh, it's really interesting to look at because like you're mentioning, like we talked about a little bit about Julian Champagne, uh, one of the twins who I really hope overtake the more I in the NBA because they're awesome. Um, but Julian's going back to school after having like, I think he had bordered on like 50, 40, 90 this year, which that's just going to be very hard to recreate for one. And number two, like, it's just, even if you do have improvements and stuff, I think teams are going to see like, oh, well, he had a statistical drop off this year. Like, did he really get that much better? And I'm not to like berate like scouting departments. I'm sure that they're doing in-depth work, but like, especially when it's towards the back end, um, and it's not a, a high-end guy like that, having like a regression or what looks like a regression on your track record might tank your, your, your stock going into the next year. So I'm in, I, I like, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that works out, but with Terrence, it's so weird too. Cause like you mentioned, like Chris Beard left Texas tech and he went to Texas. So I think maybe there's an idea that Terrence could go to, to Texas um, too. I, I don't know if that would end up happening, but like, I think if, if everything was going to be the same Texas tech, I would maybe view it differently about him going back to school, like slightly. But for me, it's like, Okay, well, number one, I think the the biggest hang up with him has been that his shot is wonky. Like it, I mean, based on everything, you know, I'm I've I would not classify myself as a shot doctor, the classic cliche, but I've gotten a lot better at starting to understand it and where it's coming from. But like basically his shot is at a point right now where he can't do anything other than catch and shoot because it's just like really hard to recreate what he's doing. It takes him a little bit longer to get it off because um his shot preparation isn't great, the release isn't super quick. Um but like, so, all right, he shot 36% this last year. What if it goes back down to like 31 or 32%, even if there's like mechanical differences and it looks better, maybe teams are less interested in actually drafting him 
Um, like I could be completely off base with that, but that's just like a whole thing looking back. Like, I don't know, like, unless he uh, has like some heavy on ball usage that he, I mean, he was probably third or fourth in the pecking order at Texas tech for the most part. And he was behind McCuller behind Kyler Edwards and obviously behind Mac McClung. Um, but like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I think there's maybe some validity to like, okay, well maybe he'll show some, some more usage uh, and he develops his playmaking at that level, but also like, why don't you just bring him in and put him in your G league system, work on a shot there. And he can get those same reps with higher competition at, 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 inside your organization. Yeah. And I mean, the thing too, is there's certainly, it's funny because there's arguments to be made on both sides, both from his personal perspective and from the team side um, that both in my opinion would, uh, well, I guess, I mean, I get from a player side, like why you want to get picked as high as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think that, like you said, you can go back to your school, get a bigger role, shine a little bit. Um, and it's not to say, I think guys do to some extent, even if they're not getting paid, enjoy playing college ball. Um, like, you know, those sort of cliches of like contend for national championship and go, you know, go to the final four, all that stuff. Like, even if those things are dragging you back to, to school, um, it is, it's, I think it's a little bit short-sighted, not in a way that I can really blame guys. Like I get it. If you're told by an NBA team or, you know, a handful of NBA teams, like, yeah, if you go back for one more year and do this and this, and to you as a player, that feels very doable. And they say, say, if you do that, you'll be, you know, a, a top 15 pick next year. It's hard to be like, oh no, I'm all right. Just being like a, a, the 50th overall pick this year when I could just, you know, go back and do something I think I'm capable of doing and be a lottery pick. Like that's been my dream the whole life. Like I get it. Um, but when you take sort of a more, uh, an overhead approach to it, you're, you're kind of ultimately in the NBA trying to set yourself up for like the second, third contracts, um, much more than you are your first contract. And it it varies team to team, but I think in 95% of cases, you're better off developing your skills in the context of an NBA team's development system than you are in any sort of college development program. Um, not only because the resources are better and the coaches are better, but because they have a plan for you. Like there is, it's hard. I mean, this is kind of the struggle of scouting a lot of times is like college teams want to win games. So if you're going back to college and your whole goal is to like round out your individual skill set, there's, there's competing interests there. Um, the, the, the sole focus is not from everybody, every other coach for you to do that. It's, it's to, put you in spots to help us win, right? Whereas if you're invested from an NBA team and especially a team like the Pacers where he's probably not coming in and playing right away, like the understanding from the front office, if you were to take a guy like that is we've got some time, let's let's focus on skill development. Then every day your focus is skill development. Like no one cares if you're playing well in games, you're probably not playing games at all. And if you're in the G League, no one really cares if you're you know winning G League games. It's just about if you're looking, showing signs of improvement. Uh, so from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense to sort of um, take that view and be like, yeah, I'm not going to be, you know, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe I can be a lottery pick if I come back next year. Um, but let's get myself, you know, going, start that clock with the contract, um, get paid, right? Like that's that's the big part here. Um, and, and have that sort of focused development plan as opposed to sort of going back to this mystery box, especially in his case, like it's a true mystery box of, I don't know where he's even going to go to school um, and try and risk it there. I just think I can't fault the guy. If, you know, like I said, if teams are telling him do this, this, and this, and 
and rightfully so he's like yeah i can do that and you'll be a lottery pick it's hard to say no to that but at the same time i think there's there's a lot of uh a lot of power in kind of leaving a little bit early and sacrificing that that lottery versus you know undrafted free agent money uh and making a go of it there yeah yeah i totally agree and i think like you make a really great point it's not super black and white like it just kind of depends uh on a case-by-case basis but uh in, in, in diving into his game now, though, um, I think why what I'm so high on him for, and I think similarly to you, I mean, we have talked about there are flashes of, of the skills. Um, also, for people who aren't aware of him or haven't seen his game, he's a 6'6". I think he's 6'6 and a half in shoes is where he measured out at, 6'8 wingspan. Um, so when you think on, on surface, like, oh, it's not like a massive wingspan or anything. Um, what stands out about him to me and why I consider him such a high-end prospect is uh, his ground coverage on defense is just absurd. Like um, he's somebody who a could come in and be a, a really good point of attack defender. Um, B can just, he's, he's like, okay, we, we don't really think about wings in terms of um, getting schemed out on defense or anything like that. But like, you can look at Utah this year and, and so much of their struggles were guys getting picked on in defense. And like you look at Terrence Shannon and he can do almost anything that you can ask of him on defense. Like, obviously, he's not going to be a rim protector, um, but he can do impactful backline rotations. He's capable of uh, – he didn't really chase that much at Texas Tech. Now that I think about it, they never really asked him to. He probably would not be automatic because he's got really wide shoulders. Um, not to put a cap on him, I'm sure he could do it eventually. But, like, point being, he's great at doing just about anything you need defensively. He's very active, um, has his head on a swivel, and just makes – fantastic place um and especially with how the nba has changed up now like with how important spacing is and how important attacking space is having guys who can take space back and and make it harder for offenses to uh to take advantage of space and just get space in general like having a guy who already has those skills and like i would say coming into the nba maybe i'm a little bit too bullish on it i think he would be an above average defender by the end of his rookie contract like you already has a baseline that's stronger than a lot of guys who are in the NBA right now. Big time. And I, I'm, I'm tentatively, I keep searching his name on Twitter, hoping we get an announcement while we're yeah. plotting, but I'm nervously awaiting it. But yes, I completely agree with everything you said. And I think the, apologies if you hear the blaring car radio oh, outside good. my window. Um, but no, I think you covered it. And I think the most important uh most important thing you said is that that ground coverage and it's uh i think this is sort of the next frontier in i mean i know it's next frontier we have like our friend max carlin just wrote a great article that came out today about evaluating defense beyond stock percentage um and i think we're sort of moving the needle a bit and sort of understanding that good defense is when stuff doesn't happen as opposed to when things do happen um and terrence sort of embodies that in the way that he is uh you know, there's, there's not, I'm not even sure what his stock percentages were. I'm actually, I'm, I think they're pretty, pretty high. low. He uh, only averaged like oh, one and a half steals and blocks together this last year. So it's, that's a perfect example where, and granted, this is a lot of what, um, like Texas Tech has one of the staunchest defensive schemes in the country in terms of how rigid they are and how much they stick to it and how extreme it is with their, their no middle stuff. But Terrence is just so good at stopping things before they happen. Um, like there's, I'm sure you can search his name um, and defense on Twitter and like go to videos. And there's going to be tons of clips of guys tweeting out plays where he like, he'll meet 
I think kind of the, the classic expectation of if you're rotating from the weak side, especially at his size, you know, tall guys can afford to be late because they can deter shots right at the rim. Um, but even wings, when you're sliding over, like the expectations, you kind of meet him outside the key. Like Terrence will slide over from the opposite corner on like a baseline drive and stop guys like 15 feet away from the hoop. It's like hilarious how ready he is to just stunt things, um, which is super valuable for that reason you talked about, which is if you have a team like, you know, we look at Utah, for example. Um, it's great to be able to have players that can cover for responsibilities beyond just like this, you know, end all be all rim protecting five. Um, because ultimately, there's that's it's a slippery slope to go down. Um, like Utah has the best rim protecting five maybe ever, um, and they got kind of screwed in the playoffs because it's just not enough. It's basketball's too hard. It's, it's too hard to expect one person to like even if you are seven feet tall and as long as Rudy is like, it's just too hard to cover that much ground. And so you need guys who aren't the five covering responsibilities off the ball, which Terrence is amazing at. And I think that really raises the ceiling of your defense too. When you have guys who, um, you know, you have more than one guy, I should say on the court who can kind of muck things up off the ball and, and turn those events into non-events um, by meeting guys outside the paint and, uh, by rotating over early, those digs, those stunts that basically, um, you know, by, by just way of positioning deter drives before they even happen. Like that's how good defense is formed. It's not those sort of like weak side flying in for a block, like pinning guys from behind. Like you don't want guys even thinking they can get attempts off at the rim. And so having guys like Terrence who can cover that much ground is really useful in building a defense that, that limits the amount of good shots a team get. Yeah, definitely. Like, that's such a good point. I think we even saw that last night in game one between Phoenix and, and Milwaukee. Like, uh, I, I tweeted out a video this morning. A lot of people keep pointing out, oh, Brooke Lopez is getting abused in pick and roll. It's like, no, it's just Phoenix's offense is awesome. All they have to do, switch Brooke, uh, force him out on the perimeter, and then DeAndre Ayton's wide open under the rim. Even if the ball doesn't go to him, the gravity is there. Um, and it shifts everything. Like, you just can't really do a lot about it. You have to have guys who are able to cover that. It's not even that Milwaukee didn't, but it's just – a lot of other stuff with that, but like point being well, the reason I'm such a big fan of Terrence is like a, especially for Indiana, like if they were to look at trading back and he does stay in the draft, fingers crossed, but like he he's qual like, I mean, he's going to be a very good point of attack defender. Cause I love one of my favorite things about him is like so many guys coming in just that I've discovered watching prospects. Now, like a lot of guys are either defending with their feet or defending with their hands. And Terrence does it with both, which is like that he's just one of the few guys who does it right now. Like even I love Scotty Barnes, but even he doesn't routinely do it with both because he's just so long. Like, and I think that's one of the things where I maybe disagreed with a lot of people. Like I, I saw this notion that he like a lot of people are like, oh, well, Scotty Barnes can be able to switch one through five coming into the league. I'm like, well, maybe not. Like, I don't know if you watch like, OK, I think it was a game against Pitt. Like, I don't even know who their starting point guard was, to be completely honest. But like I knew he wasn't an NBA prospect. And he's keeping him in front of him just because he's got a seven foot three wingspan. Like it's easy. Well, not, not necessarily easy, but like if you have enough lateral quickness and arms that go on forever, you can keep somebody in front of you. It's different at the NBA level. Like, so I think that's something that I, I definitely keep in mind with Terrence in terms of looking at what he's able to do. Um, I do like want to see him get a little bit better at not being overly physical. I think would be the wrong way to put it, but he does kind of seed ground a little bit at the point of attack. Um, but he's just so good at keeping somebody in front of him and using his, his shoulders without fouling. Um, that's just really valuable, especially with how, uh, how things get called on the perimeter now, for sure.
Yeah, and I mean, you had, I mean, you, I think you nailed it, especially when you were just talking about how helpful it is to have guys that can off the ball deter actions before they happen. Like that's, you know, suffice to say how great it is to have defenders like, like Terrence who just don't allow any presentation at the point of attack to start with. Like that makes life easier for everybody too. Um, so I definitely agree. And I, I do like the point you made too about, uh, I actually love the way you put it, defending with not only your feet or not only your hands, but defending with both. And um, I think it is like Texas Tech defenders, I think always look a little bit better than they are just because it, it's such a, and Baylor too, same exact thing. Um, which is, is that Mark Vital slander? Theater. I hope that's not Mark Vital slander. <laughs> I, he's awesome. I mean, it might be Mark Vital slander in the sense that I wasn't even thinking about him when I yeah. said that. <laughs> um, but specifically with Davion Mitchell, I got to worry yeah. about it a little bit um, just because uh, they're taught both at, at both schools and any other school that runs that sort of staunch no middle defense. Uh, you're basically cutting off half your responsibilities by funneling everything to the baseline. Like if you're not even with a guy, um, you've already taken away one way he can go. So I think there's some sense of that in that they all look a little bit better than they do, but Terrence does do a great job of um, kind of a little bit of a lost art defensively. Now I think we focused uh, and this, I don't want a straw man, but I think generally there's so much focus now on like rim protection and block shots and like so much about like deterring rim attempts, deterring rim attempts that we view it very much in like the vacuum of deterring rim attempts at the rim, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier, but uh like guys like Terrence being able to sort of wear drives in the chest and not even let guys turn a corner to where that rim deterrence that we've come to sort of appreciate as like the defensive pinnacle has to happen. It's, it's super valuable. And so, like you said, being able to, to slide and wear drives and, and take contact. And I do think, um, I think it's a fair point that you brought up too, as well, in terms of him, not always like totally walling guys off. Um, but he, I think he is very good at sort of the last art of like, the first thing you're taught when you're like growing up playing basketball is like, you know, when you're defensive sliding, like making the big step and cutting off the guy at, at the kind of beating them to the corner. Um, and he does that very well. So I do think there's just a, a ton to like about what he brings defensively and not to mention his kind of multi-positionality there as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, how, okay. So how do you view him as a defender? Like, do you, would you like, or I guess positionally, because I think when I look at him, Part of it is, like, I still don't believe that he's 205. He looks way bigger than 205, or at least plays bigger than it. Um, I mean, I feel like just positionally he's probably more of a combo forward than any, anything else um, just because of where his offense is at right now. Not even that his offense is bad, but considering, like, ideally he's probably going to be a four in most lineups, I feel like, at least offensively. But defensively, it's obviously, as you know, like it's a little more arbitrary. You're just kind of ideally everybody's able to kind of handle some of the same responsibilities. Yeah, I think um, it depends a lot on team context. Like, I, you know, you look at like the Pacers, for example, like I think if he were to go there um, and start playing, I don't know how, for, for the sake of this discussion, we can assume he's like starting for them right now or like getting in rotation minutes right now. Like, I guess in a lineup with, you know, Brogdon, Levert, like Turner Sabonis, he's a three. But then if, you know, you have Sabonis at the five, then maybe he plays the four. Or if you roll out TJ Warren there instead of Levert, maybe he's a two all of a sudden, like, I think it depends a lot on, on lineup context. Um, Cause I think I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're getting at is like the sort of 
when viewing generally kind of the idea that like the guards are gonna be the ones or the guards and wings are gonna be the ones creating and he's not gonna be doing that so he's more before is that kind of what you're getting at yeah a little bit like he's more of like i just view him more yeah he's definitely gonna be a lot more of uh the guy you're hoping is okay are you are you on are you on the weak side are you um you know are you going to attack a second side action because that's what that's what really sets him apart for me like i think uh it's it's interesting because like most big boards just don't even have him close to the first round so you don't really get to know why they they don't have him uh like why they don't have him higher i think a lot of it is a just the shot but also it really just seems to neglect the fact that he's a good driver like he is a good driver right now um like incredibly bursty for somebody his size and he's capable of using it we the, the right hand is a whole other story um, like he has to like crab dribble with his right hand, but his left hand is fantastic. And most like that's, uh, I'm getting way too far. I have myself, I have like way too many questions, but like in terms of a guy who can, if he, if the defense is already bent and he can catch the ball and attack the rim, like I value that a lot more than somebody who can shoot right now. Like, I think you can work on a shot. You can obviously work on a handle too, but it's, I mean, just, it is easier to, to build a shot than, than to build a handle in most cases. Um, and he has that baseline already where he can do that. And he's a solid at rim finisher, not awesome, but like there are some biomechanical things there that we don't need to get into right now. But like, um, I think looking at that, you can, you can see that working out offensively already. For sure. And I think like, if I were to view it kind of, um, I think we get in trouble when we try to as scouts, like say, of course you're inclined to do this and it, it is a productive practice at a certain point, but be like, uh, this is the role he'll play at the next level because they're at a certain point, especially now, which as you know, we've talked so much about this, you and I like makes me super happy, but like there's now so a lot more creativity happening in terms of, mm-hmm. oh, what if you like the, the example that comes to mind immediately is Terrence Mann. Like Terrence Mann was the same sort of player that TSJ was in college in terms of like not that great a shooter, could slash, was a really good finisher. I think he was a better finisher than Terrence was for sure. Just not as good as a defender, but still like a very sort of, like long arms, strong, kind of like forwardy wing type defender who, you know, brought the ball up sometimes and play like guard two to four on defense. Um, very much as like a slasher and a solid uh, defender. I think it was a little bit better decision maker than, than Terrence Shannon was. Um, but point being like, I would have never, like I really like Terrence Mann coming out of college and it's been great to see him succeed, but I would have never been like, oh yeah, Terrence Mann makes a ton of sense as like a small ball five. Like, yeah, Terrence Mann is going to like terrorize Rudy Gobert for 39 points in, in, a, in a, you know, a playoff clinching, a, a series clinching playoff game in his second year. Like I, that's, I would never see that happening, but credit to the Clippers who saw that as like, you can roll Terrence Mann out there um, and he's not going to like, you know, if he gets hot, like he did that one night, he'll, he'll punish Rudy for sinking in the paint and be making those shots. But like, let's just try and suck Rudy away from the rim. Um and when he does, then Terrence is going to be great getting downhill and finishing. Like, that's a role I could see Terrence Shannon filling, too, is, like, what if you put him on the Jazz, for example, um, in that, like, uh, let's say you, you know, you sat Rudy and you, like, rolled him out there with, like, the Bogdanovich, Ingles, uh, Mitchell, Conley lineup. Like, that's kind of weird, but, like, fun to think about, like, what – because I imagine the, if the other team were to roll out a true five, then – they'd be enlisted with guarding Terrence Shannon because he's the, you know, for now the least threatening perimeter player of those, of those five, like it's fun to imagine those types of scenarios, right. Where like he is attacking mismatches as a slasher. He's creating some closeouts, but you know, maybe 
you're not as optimistic on the optimistic on the shooting profile, you don't see him knocking down those open shots. Like I think you can get weird with his roles just because of his size and how much he can do defensively. And you're not sacrificing anything with him sort of playing alongside wings. Um, if you do choose to go that sort of like wing heavy spaced out five out offense um, and in, inversely defensively, I don't think you're losing that much. So I think it's, it's fun to sort of think about like, Oh, is he, you know, there's a bunch of weird ways, I guess is the, the point I'm making that he can roll out and be successful just with his like bank of skills as a slasher and a, a decent decision maker. Um, and as we've touched on for sure already, the, the awesome defense. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's a great, great point to make. And that's what's so intriguing about him too, because like, um, I mean, it's easy for me to think and like, be like, Oh, well, what about this role for him? But like, the like you mentioned uh, i don't remember what you said mystery box for but that's how i feel about his offense like you already know what you're getting from him defensively but like you can picture him filling multiple roles offensively especially if the shot hits which i think it will um in terms of looking at the shot though like how all right so why what makes you optimistic about it like i have my own reasons for why i'm optimistic about it but what makes you optimistic about the shot um so it's both uh I guess the things that I'm looking for are someone who like has a weird form is basically, I guess is my thing with Sharif too. Um, Sharif Cooper. It's like the weirder the form is uh, if you can maintain some level of efficiency on a jump shot still, I'm actually more optimistic about you becoming a good shooter because like, <laughs> it sounds silly, but if you're like have great form and you're not shooting that well on a large sample, then it's kind of like there, there might just not be that much to like, glean from a shooting perspective there but if you're shooting fine on a decent enough sample and you show touch in other areas like i think especially i mean i'll actually i'll remove the shriek example because that's an extreme but from tsj's perspective like has that little kind of running floater he has like shows good touch around the rim um has good touch on passes passes as well um and in aau like shot i think a little bit more than he did in college um not didn't have great percentages i think he shot like 33% in UIBL, but he was more willing, like mm -hmm. to see that there's like a willingness and there's touch elsewhere and the form is just busted. It's as easy to be, it's, I think it's much easier to say like, all you have to do is teach him how to shoot a basketball properly. And there's a lot to be, a lot of improvements to be had there. Right. So I think that's a big part of it for me. Um, PD does a great job breaking this down heavily in his NDSP. So I want to take away from that. I think that's a much more, probably good motorcycle there. Um, <laughs> That does a much better job of breaking down the specifics. Uh, but one thing I remember him talking about is uh, sort of pigeon toed approach that uh, TSJ takes when he takes off for his jumpers. Um, like his feet are shooting all over the place all the time. And that leads to a lot of left, right misses. Uh, and that's as simple as cleaning up. Hey, like angle your feet properly when you catch the ball. Um, that's a simple fix that could add, you know, percentage points to that three point percentage as well. So, I think the, the overall point about what makes me optimistic on a shooting is the touch is there. The form's just weird. And once you iron out the form, the touch will shine through. Um, whereas the other way around is a lot harder to work with. If you're shooting well, or if you have a good looking shot and the touch just isn't there, that's kind of like, a, it's not an innate thing, but it's a much harder thing to improve. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And like a, a, a good thing to bring up that I was just thinking about the other day, like, um actually i think our, our buddy dan pointed out to me he took all of tech's uh technical free throws like i mean he's a good free throw shooter like i think that's something that stands out a lot of times you have a guy who is not uh a not not a good shooter it's showing up the line too um 
So I'm a lot higher on that as well. And also like, that's another great point. Like he's extremely physical getting downhill and is great at drawing fouls. I think he averaged four free throws per game this last year. So I probably not quite great at drawing free throws, but pretty good, especially considering um, how he didn't have a ton of usage in the offense. Um, Like let's talk about his drive game. So like when you look at a guy who comes in with really only one hand um like how do you view that because the right hand is like he he just cannot dribble with his right hand right now to be completely honest um and it's also weird because he finishes almost strictly with his right hand which is what creates some of the weird finishes he has because he drives left always but he almost always finishes it with his right so it's like a very odd dichotomy i think like i think it's like 29 percent of his finishes are with his left hand so it's like just not very often uh, it's not as good uh, as it is with his right. But um, like, how do you view that as a guy coming into the league? Because I like also too, I, I just don't know genuinely um, how many guys come in with like a relative level of ambidexterity. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like you said, there is a baseline level of ambidexterity that he shows, right? Like he is comfortable doing things with his right hand on a basketball court. So that makes me think that there's some, some untapped gains there as well. Um but it is really tough. I think um, it helps him a little bit that he's a lefty. Like Killian Hayes kind of benefited from this as well. Killian didn't like going right. Um, granted, Killian was a much more creative handler and found ways to get himself to get defenders moving so that he could go left. Right? I think Terrence is much more straight line so that he won't have that same benefit. But there is a slight benefit to him being left-handed. And it's just like a, it's always an odd movement pattern for guys who are guarding righties 90% of the time to sort of you know, recorrect on and handle. So that will kind of help him a little bit. Um, I think he just wins with overwhelming burst. Like that is kind of the the calling card. Um, and this is not, I mean, he will have to add something to his right hand because it's pretty easy, especially for a guy who might be in the corner a lot to like, it's very easy to close out to a guy, forcing him right. Uh, and for him to not be able to exploit, that's going to be a problem. Um, but you think about, situations where he's catching on the move, uh, you know, off of whether it's just like basic relocations. Um, I don't think it's coming off screens very often in the next level. Uh, but there's situations where you can sort of leverage a little bit of space between him and a defender to where he can use that burst to exploit kind of whatever, ever lean he's given, even if he has to do with his left hand. Um, but no, it's certainly, that's kind of like, that's why I don't have any real faith in his like self-creation ability ever um, is because it's just, he's got, like you said, he's got no right hand, which limits him greatly when you, you know, it's one thing to be able to move guys left and right, but it's another thing if guys never have to move to cover one hand, like that's just a really easy way for defense to stay put. So the burst will carry him, but he definitely does have to add some, some level of like competency, even if it's just like, simplest like jabbing left to create space and then having a big window and just keeping the ball in front of him with his right hand like it's gotta sort of you know work that ambidexterity a little bit to to make it any bit worthwhile yeah definitely is that um is that something that's like easy to or not easy is the wrong word but like relatively in terms of like things that are going to develop is that something that you would be like pretty confident is going to be able to improve at the next level yeah i think um the burst with his left hand is going to help him a lot there. Like the, these, um, I guess in a vacuum, it's not that easy to, you know, add ambidexterity as a dribbler. Um, but just because he's going to be in all likelihood given a ton of space with his right hand, 
like being able to being able to to attack closeouts with his right hand is something I think he'll be able to do because uh and granted I don't think the closeouts are gonna be that strong like he's not gonna be that level of shooter um but because he's so violent going to his left he doesn't have to be that great going to his right so it's got to be okay and I think he can do that especially for I love the point you made about the left hand finishing versus right hand finishing like it's not like he doesn't use you know we look at like Josh Green last year Josh Green refused to finish with the left hand, like would never do it. Like in the most awkward situations would go up with his left hand and then like grab the ball with his right and try to flip up something weird. Like that's a deficiency that really is, is worrisome. Um, but I don't think that's the case with Terrence because Terrence has shown the ability to, sh- to finish with both hands, um, you know, most often with his non-dominant hand. So there's, you know, not to get super granular, but like anyone who's like played, like, you know how, using your off hand just feels weird. Like it's just an unnatural thing, but for him, it's clearly not because he's fine finishing with his right hand. So it's just a matter of turning that sort of mental process of the ball feels pretty similar in both hands. I just have to be comfortable, like doing everything I do on my left with my right, which takes time, but I don't think it's impossible for, for someone with his situation. Yeah, no. Okay. That, that totally makes sense. Um, it's kind of funny. Cause like you're mentioning just some of the awkwardness, like, um, he tried to do some self-creation stuff and it was uh it was just not great um like the post-ups are 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 really herky-jerky like he'll he'll like post up on the left block but because he can only really go left like he has no space to go and it ends up in some really awkward moves and it, it like worked occasionally just because he's able to overpower guys but it was a lot of like he would like spin and just try and lift the ball up over somebody and it looked super awkward but yeah, it, the self creation is not really a thing that, that we're expecting from him. But like, what do you think about him? Uh, him off the dribble, like just taking threes off the dribble because it was something he flashed a little bit. Yeah, your face says it all. Um, it's, he flashed a little bit this last year. There was one particularly, I think it was the first Kansas game. Uh, and it's worth noting too, he really tailed off as the year went on. Like, that's partially why he went far down draft boards, but also why I think it's kind of dumb that he's moved down draft boards so much. Like, if there was something that made you think this guy was a, a, a borderline lottery pick throughout the first 15 games of the season, I don't really think that the last 15 games should make you drop him to the second round, but I, I could be wrong on that, but that's just my way of looking at it. Like, I think if there's a guy who that high on early on, like, okay, clearly there's something there and you should look at it and, and maybe still be valuing it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's all too familiar a refrain that, scouts and front offices are very much victims of the moment like you know what is Davion Mitchell anywhere near a top seven pick if Baylor loses their you know second or third game they lose that game in Wisconsin like uh, obviously not in my opinion right so that's definitely part of it but um I mean I know the exact thing you're talking about he like has a little sort of and he crosses into it like has a yeah. little bit of a hezzy and pulls it and it looks really good it's it exciting, does look I don't really think good. that this it's it is uh a welcome surprise if that ever happens in the NBA to me. Um, I don't know if uh, expecting that is really a wise thing to do if you're a team investing in him. But, um, you know, I don't think it happens from the from the, the level of a three. I think it's possible, you know, maybe uh, 
that he I don't have his I have his numbers up he, I don't know what he shot on long the twos. mid-range shot, numbers are not good um I can tell you that yeah. right now but it's weird because like this is just not to like go all ball don't stop eye test truther but like the, he he feels a lot more comfortable shooting from mid-range like his his um his footwork's a lot better he just feels pretty comfortable like if he dribbles into something and it's annoying too because I know I was looking at this earlier today he, like when it, when you switch to pull-ups the numbers are even worse but like his shot does look more comfortable from mid range. And I think part of it's just, it's not on a huge attempt load compared to threes, but um, I mean, that's, it feels like something that could happen eventually, potentially. Yeah. And I think a big reason why that is, is because uh, think of kind of the main, main thing holding him back in terms of his off the, off the catch stuff, which is his self-organization like that, that sort of the foot angle stuff we talked about. And when you're moving off the dribble with the defender in front of you, there's no time to mess that up. Like you just go up from where your feet are. Um, that's something that um, a lot of these, uh, you know, Chris Paul always finds a way to get his feet straight. Like that's a bad example, but there's um, some of these more awkward sort of, um, i trying to think of like an example. I think you even see a little bit with Booker, um, who again is just super good at, at scoring himself, but he does um, a lot of it in the air. Like I think uh, this is a weird <laughs> I, I did not think I'd be talking about Duncan Robinson on this podcast, um, but like him and and uh, our friend Ben Pfeiffer talked about how Sam Hauser can do this too. Um, they can sort of plant their feet and jump from, and their feet can be all over the place. They can be wide, they can be close, they can be pointing the wrong way. But once they're in the air, ready to release, everything's facing towards the hoop. Um, and so that sort of process is, I think, what helps Terrence a little bit too, is he doesn't have time uh, to mess those feet up. Like once he's dribbling, he's going to be, I think, you know, typically facing towards the hoop. And then it's very much easier for him to get up into a shot. And then it just looks more natural because he doesn't have to sort of like, he never allows his feet to become pigeon toed because he's, you know, and drives pigeon toed. Um, so I think that's part of that, that odd sort of scenario. And I think I'd have to go through and watch all the attempts, which now that we're talking about it, I feel compelled to, um, but I feel like my, my hunch is that a lot of those pull-ups and, and those kind of uh, non-rim finishes, the, the other, the long two attempts, you should call them, uh, they're not really something he's planned to do. Like, I think that it's kind of like, oh, I, this shot's available. <laughs> yeah, situation. I have six seconds left on the clock. I should make something happen. Like, yeah, which, or for the most part, like... it was always Mac McClung had the ball. But, you know, it's <laughs> it, whenever Terrence had the great fortune of having the ball when there was less than 10 seconds on the clock, yeah. Mac, Mac always found a way to uh, to get himself the ball in, uh, in late shot clock situations that he often created for himself. Um, but, no, I think, like, there are even our moments where guys will drop so deep on Terrence where he realizes, I got to shoot this thing. Um, and then it's a much, you know, uh, I, one of the best advice that I ever got from a coach um, was don't shoot to make, just shoot to shoot, which basically is just um, another way of saying, like, once you're trying to make shots, you get very sort of tight in how you're thinking of where everything is. And then your focus is not just like on shooting it. Like if you're a natural sort of shooter, it's much easier to just kind of flow into quick shots sometimes because you don't have time to like, even the split second of like catch and shoot, situations where you're getting the ball and there's a closeout coming the difference between this the time you have there and the time you have um you know on like a contested sort of mid-range pull-up it's 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 a big enough difference to sort of like reconsider or or you know consider versus not consider your organization which i think is what happens with terrence um 
So, yeah, I think that's part of it too, is like when he's pulling up, the reason it might look cleaner is just because there's no, there's no thought of like, ah, this is what it should feel like when I'm shooting my shot. It's just like, I fucking shoot it. Um, so that's part of it too. And I think as we talked about earlier in the episode, I think that there's a uh, reason to believe that he cleans up that across the board by the time he's like a real NBA player, um, that he's like no longer, you know, getting all funky with his, his elbows and his feet. Um, he's just kind of moving into something that's a little bit more clean and more fluid. Yeah. Okay. Well, that totally makes sense. I, uh, I, I feel like that was something I definitely noticed a lot going back through and watching all of James book Knight's attempts, like his footwork organization his freshman year was awful. And like, even though the numbers aren't really that much better in his second year, it, his preparation was like miles better. A lot of it was just more difficult shots and doing a lot more off the dribble, but like, yeah, that's something that, becomes a lot more apparent. Um, one last thing I do want to talk about too, what do you think of him on passing? Because I think that's another place where people are a little bit divergent. I think you and I both uh, agree that, like, I think he's going to be a good passer, like at least relative to what he's being asked to do. Um, like he's already a solid, like, especially on the perimeter, he's great at moving the ball. Like it just doesn't really stick with him. He's a quick decision maker, which I think, you know, you and I would probably agree. Like, you know, I'd rather have somebody make the wrong decision going full speed than, you know, wait an extra half second and let the defense reset. Like, that's just, that's important. Like, like again, going back to Utah, one of their issues they had this year, I really enjoy Mie Oni and I think he's going to be a good player, but like whenever he played, there were issues where like, okay, he would stop the ball for just a second. That lets the team, the less, less teams reset and that kills what momentum they had going on and off their initial advantage. Um, so with Terrence though, he already does that. And it's actually kind of funny because he reminds me a lot of Royce O'Neal in some ways, but um, probably not probably definitely a better athlete than Royce O'Neal, but yeah, I mean, like, I think he, he's like made some, like, he's had a couple of really nice wraparound passes that, that flash when you watch on film. Uh, he's not like an awesome guy who you're expecting to make skip passes or anything, but you're also really not expecting him to run pick and rolls. So I don't know why that's like, uh, a huge sticking point. Um, but like, where are you at with, with his, uh, his, his playmaking right now? I think for his role, playmaking is pretty good just because he has a style of playmaking that's very much like um, like turnover adverse is maybe extreme. But I think he's very much like a mild passer in that he's going to make the obvious read, um, which is not a bad thing. Like I think it's not a bad thing when he is uh, playing the type of role he will fill because a lot of guys that play that role can't make the obvious read. Um, so I don't know. And like you said, as the season got on and he responsibilities sort of got greater and greater, he would make like more advanced passes that you saw a little bit more in, in UIBL. Um, so there's reason to believe that there's a little bit more than than the uh, the average, I guess, connecting wing would have. Um, but I do think he maybe gets docked a little bit for um, what may be seen as like timidness or um, just, yeah. just general aversion of mistakes. Um, but when he does make the passes, they're pretty typically darn good passes. Uh, so I think it's a matter of comfort. I think it's a matter of coaching too. Like I think that why, you know, why would Terrence feel empowered to make those wraparound passes unless they're, they have to be made. Right. So I think there's multiple factors at play there. Um, but I think in the greater sort of perspective of what he looks like as a playmaker, there's, a lot to like in terms of what he's delivering on and the decision he's making um, in his role. Like you said, he's never going to be running pick and rolls. He's not going to be 
you know, do anything crazy from a proactive standpoint. But if he's, you know, I think a lot of this hinges on sort of the assumption that he's getting closeouts and he's attacking them with his burst. And if those two things are happening, then he's getting in a lot of two-on-one situations where he's adept at making those passes. And that's, you know, maybe it's a, a minus if that's the only pass you can make as, like you said, like an initiator, but obviously he's not. So viewing him in that context, I think it's a pretty, he becomes a pretty positive passer pretty easily. Yeah, no, I think those are all really great points. Um, and I'm interested to see how that works out too. And I agree. Like I can think of one right off the bat. Like there was a, it was the second Kansas game. Um, he got the ball on the wing with like, he had like probably 12 feet of space with, with the closest defender. And he like, didn't even think about Pat. He didn't even think about shooting. And I think he passed it to Kevin McCuller and he missed, but um, sadly, if Kevin McCuller could shoot, oh man, that would make me happy. But um, big Kevin McCuller fan, every wing at Texas Tech is just going to steal my my eye for forever pretty much it seems like but um yeah like that's definitely there like I, I don't know like so I mean would you call him like a timid player is the wrong way to put it but like um I feel like he got a lot better and not being averse uh to taking shots and that that really improved throughout the well not throughout the year but just this year in general compared to his freshman year I just think there's um a general tendency that I can't really blame people for because it's natural and it happens and especially when there's you know a little bit more of like a lack of uh cross-year study of like players and systems and where they come from like the point i'm making is i think if you if you take a step back kind of take the bird's eye view of it and think about like how heavily guys get coached at texas tech like everything is done exactly how Chris Beard wants it to do, which is great for winning basketball games, but you know, a little bit tough when it comes to evaluating a prospect. Um, so you think about that, you think about like the general power dynamics of like, what, what does a freshman wing feel empowered to do? You know, it, at a certain point you earn what you, um, you know, you do get given what you earn a little bit. Um, but I think it's really hard for like, you got to show a lot to be trusted as a freshman um, in such as, you know, a strict system as Texas tech has been um, to really go out and do stuff. I mean, the other example I'd pull on is like these big men at Texas, like they're obviously told not to like, you're never going to make decisions. Like you're a play finisher. You're going to shoot it. You're going to attack the closeout. You're going to, you know, finish lobs. You're going to run in transition. At no point are you ever going to initiate a DHO. You're just not going to do that. That's not something that ever gets taught there. And so similar, similarly, at tech, I think it's very much like, you know, keep the status quo of the offense. Don't do anything to mess with the flow. Like, you know, prolong possessions. It's the same thing at Villanova. That's a great, that's a great example. Like, and Tennessee too, like that, those sort of guys who will drive into, you know, the second they feel any contact. Yeah, their post backs, up and. Yeah, you're just, you're ball. taught to like, keep the possession going, keep the possession going. Don't turn the ball over. Don't force up bad shots. We'll get a better shot. Like pass up the good shot to the, for the great shot. Like all those cliches are clearly drilled into these guys. And so, yes, I think the the ultimate on court result right now is TSJ isn't that you know aggressive as a passer. He's not that aggressive as a, as trying to get his own shot. He's not that great at um, you know hunting situations where he can create an advantage. Um, and some of that is because of his skill, but I think some of it's just because he's never thought to do that because he's never told to do that. He's actually told to do the opposite of that. Um, so I think that plays into it too. I mean, I think an interesting parallel is Keon Johnson who um, throughout the year, he went from like literally every touch was either like catch and shoot 
or an easy pass like to the guy right next to him or attacking some sort of tilt that was already created for him. Um, and as the year got on, you saw him sort of like get a little bit more free in terms of like, oh, at least now I can put the ball on the floor from a standstill. Like the smallest of improvements in just him seeing what he could do for himself. TSJ is similar in that you just kind of have to look at it through the lens of uh, – the reality, which is these coaches want to win. They're going to teach their system. They're going to recruit guys to that system. And they view that their best way to sort of find success and like what success means for their job is winning the conference and going to the tournament. And so they're going to do, you know, what they've been doing for the last 15 years. It's what got them hired. It's what's got them promotions, whatever. Right. So like, I think when you look at it through that, it's kind of easy to see how a guy like TSJ is sort of quote unquote timid. Um, he's not playing at like Ohio. He's not playing at, Wyoming or even, you know, Gonzaga's done a really good job of like making their guys look great um, by sort of maintaining that flow state offense that just doesn't really happen when there's just so much coaching happening. Um, so that was a little bit of a rant against uh, the college development system, but that's kind of why I think he does, you know, come off as like timid or not aggressive or not hunting his own shot or not making the appropriate pass or whatever. Cause guys are just afraid of mistakes sometimes when the focus is solely on like, controlling the possession game and winning the basketball game. No, I think, I mean, that was a necessary rant. It was a great rant. Um, it's kind of funny because part of the reason I was so uh, unwilling uh, to get into the draft originally uh, and I waited for forever to actually like write on it or talk about it is because I feel like that's one of the issues I've had with it is people, don't, I mean, like luckily I've connected with people who are awesome about it, but like a lot of people just don't take in that kind of context. That shit's important. Like, it's not just as cut and dry as like, okay, yeah, you can look at Terrence and be like, okay, his shots wonky as hell. Well, I, I'm not going to take him or something like that. And there's so much more to it than that. I mean, you can say that for any number of prospects, like even just like talking about James Booknight. Like, I think you could look at the year he had this year, um, his feel for the game overall and be like, oh, well, you know, I just wish that this guy was better. Except it seems like people are thinking kind of the opposite, of course, but um, I think you could look at it and be like, instead of taking into account, okay, this guy's missed a year and a half of basketball over the last three years, uh, that that's going to it, it, like definitely have an impact on your development for him to be at this stage, considering like pretty damn impressive, like that stuff matters. So uh, in conclusion, Terrence Shannon Jr. should go in the top 20, but uh, Henry, uh, this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, where can people find you at? Do you have anything in the works that you're excited about or uh, just any, uh, any, any fun weekend plans, man? Yeah. Uh, a little bit of all of that. I'll be, um, we just did a pro insight. We did a little uh, draft sort of question round table, which was fun. You can go check that out. Um, we have another sort of drafty thing coming out this week. And then also uh, it's a good time, I guess, to plug. I'm doing a pro insight sort of draft Q and a mailbag situation. So you can probably find, uh, actually, I'll retweet the original tweet on my Twitter so that people will see it. Um, but you can reply to that thread and I'll answer your questions for that. Um, my Twitter is at Henry W. Ward. Uh, fun weekend plans is actually Friday. I'm headed out to Vegas uh, to help with the national team in their prep for, for Tokyo, which is very exciting. Um, it's been a while since I've been able to go to a USA thing, obviously, with COVID. So it'll be fun to sort of get back out there and for like the biggest event I've helped for, um, prepping for the Olympics. So pumped for that um yeah that's all that's all i got thanks mark for having me this was a fun you know hour long i'm i'm curious to see what the target audience will be for the guys who will actually listen through an hour long uh 
TSJ conversation, but I certainly had a great time. Well, hey, man, if they don't, it's their loss. It was a great exactly. time. I, I'm looking forward to doing more because, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, at least for me, it's fun sometimes to shoot through like seven or eight guys in like 45 minutes, but I like taking an hour to talk about somebody. So uh, thanks a ton again for coming on, man. To everyone listening, of course, go follow Henry. I'll have his, uh, his links down below. Um, and most importantly, just have a good rest of your day.